Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. All right. Wow, man. It's Friday. It's summertime. Ed, the sun is out. Um, it's going to be a great weekend, man. I can't wait. It's not only sunny, but the temperature's dropping. It's not 94 and humid. Right, it's going to be right. like 85 today and like 75 tomorrow and sunny. So I'll be out on the deck and you know what I'll be enjoying on that deck. <laughs> a little cigar, a <laughs> little vino or a little uh, Absolutely. libation. Love it. Um, we have a special uh, show tonight. Uh, or and you guys are not recognizing uh, Ed's voice because he's not Chris McAllister. It's Ed Porter, a uh, good friend and a fellow uh, interim sales leader, big thinker, sales nerd, and just all around great guy. And uh, Ed and I are going to talk about some interesting topics that have been on the uh, docket, but we haven't gotten to in a while. And before we jump in, Ed, I want you to just kind of give our listeners a sense of who you are, what you do, and then we'll jump into some cool topics. Yeah, great. Thanks. Happy to be here and, and talk shop with you. Um, so I'm, I'm Ed Porter. I'm a fractional chief revenue officer. My company is Blue Chip CRO, and I've been doing this for about three years, striking out on my own and um, working with different clients that have sometimes an array of problems or something very specific, but ultimately working with a lot of the revenue teams of marketing sales and customer success or customer experience. Um, so that's what I've been doing for the past three years. My career has been spent throughout all sides of those. I got my start in the outsourced contact center business, understanding service and building that, and then also sprinkling in a little bit of the inbound and outbound sales. So I got my feet wet there in my 20s doing that and then started through each different company, um, working with the different departments, building an inside sales team for a field sales organization, building a channel division for a software company, and then ultimately becoming a CRO of a company that got uh, led to acquisition. And now I've been on my own for the past three years, uh, trying to figure out this whole CRO thing and helping clients really understand the value in aligning these revenue teams. That's awesome. And for our listeners who might think, well, geez, James, aren't you and Ed in the same business? And I, it's interesting because sales is a complicated place and there are thousands of levers that can be pulled to help an organization out. So even though you and I uh, are in the same world, I feel like you and I could work really, get really well together side by side, just given the, the differences in our ex life experiences and our desired focus and so forth. Yeah, there's a lot of compliments, and that's that's what I think is is important about it really sales. Sales is just a, a portion of it, but when you look at the bigger the bigger focus in a company, is you're trying to get 
revenue and trying to retain and grow revenue. And they're they're not competing priorities. They should be aligned priorities. So what what I like, I think there's a lot of, you know, we talked about this last conversation is if we were to draw a Venn diagram, we would start writing down, like there's a little bit in the middle where we're sure we'll overlap, but there's plenty that you do that I can't do. And there's plenty that I do that you don't want to get into. So like there's a, <laughs> there's a really good complimentary offering here that um, I, I think as we've become friends and continued to talk more about this is getting excited to get an opportunity where we can both really hit in our respective areas and really help clients. So I'm excited for that. I certainly don't see it as a competitor. In fact, um, I, I think a lot of things that I've learned from you and a lot of the stuff that you've done in your business for a while, I, I had you speak at one of our um, AISP chapter meetings about um, collecting wins and what that means. And I think the, the viability in that and how that makes sense. So um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of overlapping with us, but there's more um, differences, I think, where we become practitioners in certain areas for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the fact that we're both very entrepreneurial, uh, you know, getting involved in angel kind of activity, angel investing and things like that. It, it, it keeps the saw sharp, but it also kind of demonstrates that we're not just theorists, right? We get in, get our hands dirty, roll up our sleeves. And man, I'll tell you, you know, you know, all we have is time. And if you're not spending your time on the things that get you jacked, then you're wasting your time. Right. And I just feel like you and I are really keyed in on the things that get us going and that we love to do. It's yeah. Cool. Very true. Very true. That's really cool. Um, so I thought today what would be neat is to, to talk about this idea of sales problems, but sales problems that we've discovered that really aren't sales problems. I'm really intrigued by this topic that you suggested. And, um, you know, so often when we get into, we're, we're, we're called for help, but oftentimes the work we do has little to do with the scope that the CEO originally thought. So I'd love to kick it back to you and kind of frame for, frame for us kind of when you think about prob- sales problems that aren't really sales problems, what comes to mind first? Yeah, the I think it's a high level, like think about going to the doctor and you're sick, you have an ailment or something like that. And you and you kind of go down this path, like I have a sore throat. So you're gonna go to the doctor and if you were to just take he or she were to just take your word on that, mm. they'd probably tell you to go get a lozenger or go get some throat spray and you know, if it doesn't go away in three or four days, give me a call. But what they're not really seeing is if they don't ask the right questions, what they're not seeing is that you have a stuffy nose and it's probably got some drainage going on and that's what's calling, causing the sore throat. So maybe you have an infection and maybe that infection needs treated with an antibiotic. So there's a whole different prescription based on what you know you go and present a problem with. And that's very similar to most, if not all of my engagements over the past three years has been client saying, I've got a sales problem or a sales opportunity. And, and either one is, is very valid of here's something that I need help with this and it's in sales. And in every engagement, I believe it's been every engagement, it's, it's rarely a sales problem and it's an opportunity to really understand the customers you're serving today. Are you serving? What reasons are you serving them? Why did they buy from you? Why do they continue buying from you? And then are you going to market and sell to those types of customers? And if not, then there's a complete disjointment. So we get into using your customer base today, getting the data from them, taking that to marketing to have them go find buyers like that and creating content that aligns to those 
problems and then getting sales to take that baton from marketing instead of creating their own messaging and creating their own content and not using anything from marketing, use the stuff from marketing. <laughs> and now we're, we've got this whole aligned approach. So while in, in, the, in the surface, there's a sales problem, but the solution lies often in, in one of those two teams is that sales is having to go at it alone. And that's, that's the problem is <clears throat> use what your customer service team, it doesn't matter if you're small or big company, use what your service team is doing. They're the ones closest to your customers. Take that information and market to it and then get sales aligned to the same message. So I wind up going in and those are usually the first two departments I work through when we start asking those questions of why, why have your customers purchased initially? Why are they continuing to buy? And those reasons can be inherently different. And then how do we figure out that, that true persona, the true ideal customer profile, and do they really have it locked and loaded? And is marketing supporting that? So that's where, is sales really the problem? Maybe not. Maybe sales is just the sore throat, but we don't know really why the sore throat's there. And we got to go into, is sales going down the right path? Are they using the right tools? And are they being supported and enabled properly from their respective peer departments? Right, right, right. So, so the problem can show up as we, we missed our quarterly number or our margins are shrinking or deals are taking longer or the pipeline um, isn't full. Uh, and those are, might be the triggers that start the conversation. Uh, but you typically, you got to dig. And so what I heard you mention, though, I, if I could summarize what you said, I heard you use the word align. And everything you said after that seemed like it was really about, in the example you gave, focusing on the alignment between sales and marketing, customer success. I would think even the product service team, right? Because you can't sell something for more than it's worth, right? So you've got to bring a product service package to market that solves a problem. So if, you're, if you've got a revenue issue, as, as the doc, as a, the diagnostician, you would it sounds like you would look for all those typical points of alignment that you would expect to see and then look for areas where there's that misalignment and that miscommunication. And that typically will give us a clue as to where to start looking, where to dig deeper. Yeah, very true. Because again, if, if the sales team is siloed and doing their own thing, you know, I often ask, you know, how are you, how are you, how are you prospecting? Are you going cold? And if you're going cold, what are you saying? And how are you saying it? Are you using tools? Are you using sales engagement platforms? Are you using LinkedIn? And But it ultimately comes down to what are you saying in those messages? And what are you saying on a first conversation? <clears throat> and if a lot of that stuff isn't driven or supported by the marketing content that you have, then you're completely siloed. So then marketing's trying to generate leads that probably aren't converting. Maybe there's an MQL number, but it's probably not converting to a customer. Now we're starting to look at some of these disparate problems. And, and then we start asking the question of, well, if, if sales is recreating their own messaging, not that I'm saying that that's wrong, but if they're going at it alone and having to do it themselves, right. how are they validating that what they're saying works? Are they running A-B tests? Are they running any kind of experiments to say, is this working and resonating? Otherwise you have very high customer acquisition costs, very high and very long. So to your point earlier about some of these indicators when they miss a number or they start to see close rates go, go down in, in the single digits, these are generally some indicators of, of, of some other problems Then you start dissecting and how, how, how far can you peel that onion back? And 
it comes out down to all these questions that you want to answer to say, are we really targeting the right person? Are we really targeting the right company? It, can we actually solve a problem that they have? Or do they have a problem that they have no intention of solving? Then we're barking up the wrong tree. And of course, our MQLs are going up. And even at times our SQLs are going up, but our close rates going down because we don't really have a chance of closing them. Or the ones we are closing, again, are they buying from us once and then leaving? Or are they buying from us over and over again? Those are two different indicators that give us an idea of how do we profile that better? How do we ask those questions on discoveries or throughout the sales process and, and get into things like that? So we're, we're really needing information from all of our respective departments to be able to really solve this sales problem. And it's not just a somebody, a VP of sales that can think on their own and do for themselves. It's not just operating in this silo. And it, it really has to come down to why we're doing the things we're doing and getting rid of the whole we've all done it that or we've always done it that way. Well, it's, it's interesting. So it can start off with a revenue challenge that looks like a sales problem because we're seeing it and then it can just spread once we look. So I guess what to summarize what you're talking about, a revenue problem or a sales problem could be alignment as we've talked about already, but it, it sounds like it could be this idea that, you know, this siloed, example that you've talked about where marketing is operating on their own, sales is operating on their own. They're led by VPs that maybe don't understand each other, maybe uh, are resistant to collaborating. Um, and so it could be that that silo challenge. I guess I'd love to get, dig deep into this. What is it that, how common is that silo challenge for our listeners? Uh, there may be VPs and there may be CEOs who are listening to this saying, Shit, that sounds like my company. <laughs> should they be, should they be shocked, or should they be kind of like, uh, um, you know, feel like they're just part of a larger club when it comes to this, this the existence of siloed sales and marketing organizations? Yeah, I, I believe it's it's common, and that doesn't always mean bad. Yes, silos are are, are challenging, but um, it doesn't mean like we're in this sense of urgency. So. Inevitably, as a company grows, that's what happens. Because when you're starting off, you got one person wearing a ton of hats, and then you are big enough to be able to support somebody else wearing another hat, and and you and you go. And those that's just natural part of growing pains. Um, <clears throat> the the idea of alignment and why that's important is like what we talked about is being able to partner with each other. So why doesn't it happen? Often it's not like a direct, uh, like, I don't like James, he's the head of sales and I'm not going to talk to him. And as if I'm the VP of marketing, like that rare, I mean, yeah, sure that happens, but that's really not uh, an indicator of, of, of what a common problem. A common problem is just as things grow, people start separating and then marketing has their own, uh, cadences for team meetings and team huddles and, you know, working through projects and sales gets in their own groove of huddles and they get, you just get into like running teams within your four walls. And the only time maybe you interact with everybody, especially now being in a remote more so environment, the only time you're really interacting is you're, it's relying on the CEO or the leader to, to bring everybody together. Maybe that's a weekly leadership meeting. Maybe that's a couple huddles. And sometimes those huddles are just a diary of what I'm doing. And and that's it. And if there's no collaboration after that, there's a missing component. So think as, again, naturally, as a company grows, you start, these silos are inevitable, but then it's how do you try and bring them back and wrangle them back in? And I, I wrote a blog article on this a couple of years ago on uh, 
it, it really is an easy fix. And the easy fix is just communication and it's talking and it's getting people entrenched and talking to each other. I've had marketing leader come into sales meetings once a week and get them, get the marketing leader talking to the sales reps about here's what's going on. Here's what we're planning. And then I encourage everybody to be vocal and Hey, are there things they're doing that you think is stupid? Like, let's talk about it. And then I do the same thing with customer success. Customer success leader comes into a sales meeting. Sales leader comes into the marketing meeting or if the marketing company has an agency, get the sales leader or the customer success leader in there engaged and at least have them be part of the observation crew and then get that perspective. So that's where it starts is just get this integration of people talking throughout these channels that already exist of team meetings or huddles or whatever the case may be, have them start as an observer and then, or give them a plate to, to, to start stacking and then give them some time in a meeting to, to start talking. That's where it starts because then ideas flow from there. And then it becomes, well, Hey, let's brainstorm, let's debate. And it's wonderful. Let's do a separate meeting and let's, let's talk about it. And that's how things start get going. Perspective starts going. And that's really the integration of, of starting to solve that problem is getting everybody talking to each other and understanding what's going on. We don't have to agree but at least we can understand why things are happening. And if we feel like sales is going at it alone, then marketing and customer success can be there to support. If we feel like marketing's touting too much on brand fluffiness that isn't really resonating with buyers, then we need to show that. And we can say, here's the MQLs that have been generated from these types of resources, and they, they close loss for this reason. And this is the average sales cycle of that close loss deal. That that's proof right there to say marketing, you're not generating leads. And and that's a function, not the only function, but it's a function of marketing. So I think that's the that's the solve right there is is silos will happen, embrace it, but then work to to minimize it. And it's just a difference of being reactive or proactive. Sometimes your house is on fire and you gotta go figure out a way to put it out. And <laughs> and that's fine. But other times it's not, and, and it's harder to see when the teams start to get siloed and if things aren't burning, it's, it's very tough to see. And then in that case, is it really a problem? Maybe not. Um, and, right. and that's okay to a point, as long as the buyer isn't put in the middle and the buyer isn't confused on the marketing that's going out there and the solution that you're actually providing, as long as that's not confusing to the buyer, then that's, that's okay. But if it is, and you have some competing metrics, then that becomes very problematic. Right. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned metrics. I think this, this idea of fostering communication, right? It's, it's a huge challenge. And we, we always say that it, when you knock down a silo, you create a pipeline and that's what we ultimately, that's the image we ultimately, ultimately want to have in our minds. And I'm a little bit more, I think, aggressive than you are in terms of the, the problem with silos. Um, I just, we, I want to get rid of them, right? I, I think the mm -hmm. challenge, especially, you know, when you think about, I, I use the phrase sales and customer facing teams. I feel like in most organizations, because there's, and I, I think you talked about this specialization, right? As we grow, we become more specialized and that specialization fosters independence, which fosters, mm -hmm. which fosters that siloed operation. But what I want is I want that to be specialists on the same team, you know, quarterback versus wide receiver. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you, you on the field at the same time, you have different expertise, but you're still trying to put the ball in the end zone. And so 
so this idea of communication and what can bring us together, it seems, and you mentioned this at the end of your conversation, I think a big, a big supporter of focusing conversation is data. And when there is data, we can eliminate the blind spots. We can get rid of the shadows. We can step out from behind the shadows. We can stop asserting opinion and arguing about opinion and what my experience tells me. And we can look at the numbers and just say, okay, great. How do we distill this, this argument, this, this conflict of an opinion down to something very basic? Um, and then we actually look for the opportunity to identify data that can be and metrics that can be shared across teams. So instead of marketing, owning the quantity and quality of an MQL, a marketing qualified lead, can sales take ownership of that as well? And can they work together to optimize that metric? Yeah. So the, you know, the interesting part about data is we all, we all ask about it. We all know it's there. It's just a matter of, are we using it for good or evil? And, and there is a difference because interpretation of data isn't always accurate as much as let's look at what it says, not let's interpret its meaning. And, and I think that's, again, the biggest difference. And the, the, what I always like to say to kind of prove that point is <clears throat> if I'm outside of a library and I'm asking people, hey, do you find value in the library? I'm going to get terribly skewed results if I'm trying to use that, even a valid sample size to represent, oh, 72% of Americans think that the library is valuable. And maybe there's a degree of variance there, but still it's a convenient sample. So don't interpret what the data says, but just start, you know, start with gathering it and having that practice. So, so now we're getting into this whole, um, what is the data telling us? And more so that serves as a, as an experiment testing to say, is our assumption correct that this is happening? We've collected this and our, and our, our assertion is that customers of this industry at this size revenue numbers are suffering from these problems and these are the customers we're solving. That's a great profile, not to say we're gonna build everything in our army to support this, but it's we're gonna go test it. And we need to then take that to say, are we right or wrong and, let, and let's go. So there's also this difference of your buyer, your, even if you have one persona, you're not, you're going to face buyers that are different. Ultimately, they're, they're either going to have similar problems, but a greater emphasis on different problems to solve. So I may have a, a certain problem, but my, I'm not in solve mode right now. So I've got to solve some other things. So my message or that timing becomes irrelevant. Maybe it's still valuable, but it's just not valuable right now. Right. So I think the data has to be used to, to go look at and build a foundation and test against, but you're right without it. What do you do? You're flying blind and you're throwing a dart at a dartboard and hoping it sticks somewhere. So I think that's, you're right. Is we all are in this data mode. We're always in data is a, you know, it's somewhat subjective because, you know, it's, it's finite, but also think about how 
the reliance on reviews and consumer reviews, mm. G2 crowd, business reviews, software reviews, like we're very keen on reviews. Well, it's a data point for us. So we're trying to use that as validation or are there oh shit moments that I don't know what to expect. We're using that as a data point and to make a decision. So there's other, there's other pieces of data. And now you start looking at, you know, we talked about this earlier about pipeline. So when you start looking at close rates, start shrinking. Well, why? Tendency, we, we look at, oh, let's look at all the closed loss deals and let's look at why the lost reasons. Great. That's, I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying do that. But then we can start looking at why. Is it a sales problem? Maybe, maybe not. What if all those leads came from marketing? And what if it all came from downloading one white paper? Mm-hmm. Can we make the assertion that, hey, that white paper download probably isn't a lead generator? It will give us some leads, but it's not generating anything. Numbers versus quality, right? There you go. So now we're getting into this. What does the assertion of that data mean? But we need to go down that path to operate under that mechanism to say, let's go test something. And here's a theory. Like in science, it's a theory. Now let's go test it. It's in the testing that determines, you know, whether it's valid or not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this, this, this topic of data is really important to me because oftentimes when I go into a sales organization, um, is it a sales problem or isn't it? Sometimes it is a sales problem. And sometimes, you know, the sales team is structured in a way where, as you've mentioned, when, when organizations get started, they hire heroes to go out and do the job because they don't know how to sell yet. It's brand new. Let's go hire a hero. or Maybe the CEO is that hero that goes out and makes stakes the claim in the marketplace and figures some things out. And over time, we just continue to hire these individual contributors and we fail to unify them, for example, on a unifying sales process and methodology that allows all 10 of them, for example, to optimize the same process. Instead of doing that, they're now individual contributors, all making the same mistakes, all optimizing their own individual process. And then what happens in that environment, there's no reason for those individuals to update their CRM, for example. Why should I? I don't want to, I'm competing now against all the other folks on my sales team. I don't want to give away my process for selling. Whereas the team that's working together, they're all, they're all um, incentivized to contribute to the CRM because the more they contribute, the more they can learn from each other, and it has a multiplier effect. And so just in that example, a, a sales problem that is a sales problem is this idea that there is data that's not being captured. We're not understanding the questions that we're asking the client, buyer or cu- the buyers, and then we can't transfer that knowledge back to marketing. So sales complains that marketing doesn't understand what it's like to be belly to belly with a customer. They're not helping me get more qualified leads. Well, how about you sales? Are you capturing the data that's allowing marketing to make good decisions and improve, continuously improve how they're targeting on your behalf? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a great point. So when you get into that, where sales can very easily be the problem is down that path of simply knowing why do you win deals? Why do you close deals? That's that, or or why do you lose deals? Mm -hmm. So those are the first two, like at the very top of this decision tree is understanding the why behind all of those. And in order to answer that, you need to be able to go under a microscope and look at each deal. And there's a lot of attribution there to figure out things like now we're looking at where did the lead come from? Did it, or is it like what you said, is it, is it even all documented? 
there's plenty of times I've seen deals closed and it goes hands over to an implementation team and the implementation team has nothing to go on. And it's like, where, where is any of the notes or any of the documents, any of the thing, like, we just know a customer wants to buy, but we have no idea what you talk to them about. Where is that documented? And sometimes that's shame on the salesperson. And sometimes it's shame on the company for, you know, not creating the best user experience because salespeople are only going to use people in general are only going to use tools that they see value in. So if they're not getting value in it, then just like what you said is why, why are they going to do it? Why are they going to give away the sauce? Why are they going to take the extra time to do administrative work and fill out Salesforce fields and things like that. So there's this line between making it easy for the person to, to administer, but then also making it easy to extract the data so we can answer those questions. Why do we win? Why do we lose? Then you get into data points like sales cycle. Is that vary by product if you have multiple products? And starting to look at close rates by by sales cycle. So do you have better win rates in 30-day or less sales cycle, or do you have better win rates in nine months? Uh, sales cycles. So trying to understand that time. And the other things you can start asking yourself is how many interactions does that take? So if it's a nine month deal, is that one discovery call and one demo? And then they sat on it for seven and a half, eight months, and then they close? Or is there other stuff going on? Are you, are you, do you have a buying committee? Are there five people that are decision makers and you have to have calls with them? Are you flying out to a customer's location to be in a boardroom? A lot of these things, when you start looking at this data to start asking, why do we win deals? Why do we lose deals? And then figuring out those inputs. This is the whole part of the process, which you were just talking about is how do we understand how, how we work with a potential buyer? And we can very easily come up with a process, but that's our process. Is it fair to take a prospect through our process every single time? That probably doesn't align with their buying process. So now we got to have these audibles in place and we got to be able to adapt to the defense. And more complicated. Yeah, that's a heck of a lot more complicated. <laughs> but ultimately, the foundation there is you're using the data and having reasons why, and then figuring out what are the reasons why we do certain things. How do we conduct a discovery call? What is a discovery call? Right. How do we conduct the demonstration? Why do we conduct it? Who do we conduct it with? How do we facilitate that discussion? How do we present a great conversation that's not just feature benefit driven? So these are all like the whys behind it. And in this, you have the lone wolf sales reps out there that are going to do their own thing. And and you know, again, we kind of get into this whole how big of a problem is that, and it can be problematic. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the whole idea of like, how do you hone everybody in and how do you build a consistent process so that at least you have the foundation and then each person can bring their particular sprinkle onto the talent of how do they execute those conversations and, and how do you build those relationships? Those are soft skills that are very tough to put in a playbook. Yeah. 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 And you don't, but you don't, they're tough to put in a playbook, but you, you can't get there unless you take that first step. And I think that's, that's an interesting realization to a lot of heads of sales, a lot of CEOs. The problem can look so big that they don't even, it feels like there's not even a value in taking that first step or even um, investigating what could be done. And I think, you know, you never know unless you jump in. It's, it's really just a matter of facing the challenge with a high level of curiosity and, and, and rallying against complacency, right? Which comes back to a cultural dynamic. And I guess, 
one of the things that I'd like to get your opinion on is, you know, when a sales, when is the sales problem, not a sales problem? I think a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, you know, silos, communication, um, what's in it for me, you know, do we work as individual contributors or do we work as team members? A lot of this uh, is, is a, is an outcome of uh, the culture that's created inside the enterprise. And this is not, it may or may not be just related to sales. There may be a sales culture, but there may also be a larger culture that's indicative here. How do you kind of, um, well, well uh, let me ask you this. When you recognize that there could be a cultural challenge, um, what, what clues do you look for? And then how do you raise the challenge with, uh, with a founder or a CEO? Yeah, this is, this is a real tough one. Um, I don't know that I'm the best person to answer this. I'm going to speculate a little bit, but the, I found myself kind of starting out working with different clients is that I, um, often didn't have the tough conversations that needed to have that I needed to have. I was really more focused on, um, I guess, trying to be peaceful and try to ex like, I'll give my opinion. And then if you say no, then, you know, I'll move on and go away. And I, I think I was trying to do that in the spirit of, okay, I don't want to be controversial. I don't want to be hard to work with because that may impact my ability for you to renew your engagement with me. So there were a lot of fears there that I probably wasn't as I was too little, too mild. And now I'm, I'm certainly not there yet, but I'm getting there in trying to be trying to think of this to say, I really, I have a duty to my client to be passionate about why I'm doing things and, and why not. And to point it out, I'm not trying to tell you, you have an ugly baby. I just want to tell you steps that you need to, you need to fix the, to solve a problem. I'm not saying you made a bad decision in the past, but there, there are better ways to handle things or especially change. Sometimes it's easy as letting somebody go. And sometimes it's not coaching is very tough. It's not easy to get somebody to change. You know, this James being in, in the several professions that you've been in, you, you understand change is tough. Yeah. So I think that's where I've started to come from the perspective of, I have a duty to the client to, to talk about it and to talk importantly about it and then to have a pretty, pretty good opinion and try to remove emotion and outcome out of it. So that's kind of where, where I'm at right now. How do I do that? I would say I'm still learning. Um, I I've had, um, I've let emotions get the better of me to a point where with one client, I said, you know what, I'm probably just not the person for you and we should probably part ways. And in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have taken it to that point, but it's a tough, it's a tough thing when you each have your own agenda. If somebody's trying to fight their position and I'm trying to fight my position and we're not aligned, it's, it's not easy having that conversation. So all I can really say is I've recognized this as an area that is, is probably a skill many are working on is how to have productive conversations at times of conflict and then how to, how to impose the, Hey, I think this needs to change, or I think there's a cultural opportunity here to, to fix, or this really needs to be addressed and start going down the path of, again, we're on the same team. We're not opposing forces. How do we fight for the same goal and get there differently? So that's a little bit more of a, a maybe roundabout way to answer that question, but um, it, it is tough being in the advisory role that you tend to be in as a, whether it's a consultant or services arrangement is 
you know, at some point you're, you're, you're needing to take action and either the client's going to do it or they're not. And this, this kind of goes in part with what you and I've talked about before about it doesn't make sense in some engagements to do rev share programs. And in many cases, I don't like it because what happens if I give you 15 things to do and you don't do it now I'm on the hook and I, uh, and, and you know, now it's my income that suffers as a result. So, um, so that's a little bit about kind of how to poke the bear a little bit and, and how I've failed in that in the past. And some of the things that I'm working on still to get learning. better, cause it, yeah, it is. It's, We're a, it's still learning. again, I think one of the areas I could probably learn a lot from you on is, um, how to have those productive conversations, right? That's, I mean, that's an area that is in sales. It's in negotiation. How do you, how do you have a negotiation and, and disassociate from the emotion? And it's tough. Yeah, it's, uh, it is tough. And what's interesting about this that you bring up for me, when you talk about this idea of being an advisor, uh, the first thing I try to do is I, I don't, I find that like you, uh, I lose my effectiveness when I lose my passion. And I have I had a very wise uh, client during the COVID years. Uh, that was a tough time. We lost about seventy five percent of our clients on March twelfth. Yeah. I remember the day. Everybody Jeez. called me the same time, right? And so it was a sensitive time. It, it was we were okay as a business, but you know, as the founder of the business, you take that personally, right? People are leaving, even though you understand why it's still an emotional thing. And I think I, I think I lost my edge a bit. And I had a client tell me, look, James, we're not paying you to be nice. We, we expect the push. We expect the pushback. And I snapped out of it. And, um, and I, and I, and I, from now on, what I do is I, I let my clients know that I recognize that I'm in an enviable position, right? I have five, 10, 20 other clients I can, I can rely on. So I can come into your business and I can give you the truth. And if you don't like it and you, and you can me, it's not going to kill me. But if you as an employee tell your employer the truth and they don't like it and they can you, that might make you feel real vulnerable, right? So that's true. Yeah. I, I recognize the vulnerability. So kind of, and I kind of share that. And then there's a, the, the biggest thing that I have found that brings people who are, who are arguing, who are in conflict together to solve something together. Usually the conflict isn't about an argument over what the problem is. Usually the argument is, is arguing what the solution should be. Yeah, you're right. And, and the reason the solution's don't align is because they haven't aligned on the problem. So it's just like you've talked about from a sales perspective, when we sell, we can't present our solution until the client and I agree on what the problem is. What problem are we trying to solve inside your business? Then I can give you the solution, give you the pricing, all that. Same thing at work. What problem are we trying to solve? When I just ask that question in the context of a conflict, what problem are we trying to solve? Man, that's when we get constructive. That's when we get to hear, because you know how it is, brother. You can, two people can look at the same exact scene and interpret it entirely different ways. Add three or four people to the mix. Well, is that not the basis of religion today? Is like, <laughs> it's interpreting a lot. Like everyone has their opinion. They all have the same book, right? Absolutely. It's the same book. And, uh, and and the, you're right. I think interpretation is 
is, is that art is very much the same way. You know, I look at art and I see value in something and someone's like, that's, that makes no sense to me. Others. I'm like, I don't get it. Why would you pay 20 grand for that? So there, yeah, I think interpretation you're right is you can both be given the same thing and everyone has the, the, the different interpretation. And, and this proves a lot of what, how I, what I see in data is data. It, you know, everyone says you can't argue with data. Absolutely. You can, Oh yeah, you absolutely can Numbers always, lie. and you should numbers lie and people lie, unfortunately. So, um, so I think that's part of the interpretation of peeling that down a layer and just getting back to the root of saying the same thing as aligning on what are we trying to solve and let's get granular. You may need to peel that onion back a little bit, but get granular into what are you trying to solve? And then, then spend the time debating on the solution because nobody has a crystal ball. I mean, we're going to have to figure out a solution and we're going to have to try and we're going to try and use our best guess on what works best. So yeah, I'm with you there. That's a great, that's a great call out. So as we bring this the show in for a landing, I I want to I don't want to leave until we talk about this this last uh, point. Um, and uh, you know, there's this this idea when we when we walk into organizations, uh, where people don't want or they resist the the help of an outsider, right? Somebody that comes in from outside the organization. Somebody who's curious, enlightened, who's been through the process before, if they're working with a good practitioner, they'll recognize the benefit of having somebody from outside the organization take a fresh look with a different set of eyes and, and get value from, hey, what do we look like to you? What do we look like based on what you've done over the last 30 years? And a lot of folks resist that. But oftentimes that's because their, their boss right? Hires them. The, the, and this may have to do with culture, I guess, a bit, but their boss hires them and expects them to know everything. Hey, we have a challenge on the sales side. Well, that's why I hired you. Fix it. Yeah. It's like, and so you, you have to wonder when CEOs join, you know, mastermind groups, when they call their board advisors and they get the help of um, a pool of trusted advisors who help them navigate uncharted waters, right? Because growth is the mastery of change. If I'm growing, I'm going to naturally step into areas I've never experienced before. How often do you run into, and I just, this is just something I rail against, you know, professionals in the sales and marketing space who are expected to know everything. They're expected to know this. Why do you need help? Yeah. I I, I would say I've run into that both inside and outside client engagements. And I've, I was actually just talking to a buddy last week um, who is in this living in this world today. Work, he's working for a company relatively new, new to him, new, new employee. The company's been around for a while. He's the first real sales hire. And how does he get resourced to, to do things? And it's, He's spending a lot of time doing different things and it's, it's tough. And it's, that's the, that was the response that was given was, well, we hired you to do that. Why are you trying to bring somebody else in? And, and it's like, okay, well, we got a decision to make. We can either assume that as a single salesperson, I should and can do everything, but that could also number one, take a lot longer. Number two, I'm going to have certain things in that skill set that I'm better at and worse at. 
So if I'm expected to do them all, there are inevitably things that I'm going to perform poor in. I'm not a master of all. Nobody is. So, you know, he, he just told me this last week. And now in, in, so that's outside of clients and inside clients is the, the impetus of two things. One, that the CEO knows everything. And there's, it's, it's unfair to say in order to be a CEO, you have to have been a sales rep and you've served customers and you have to be an engineer and you have to be a finance person. And no, you don't. That's impossible. So at what point do you hire people beneath you that specialize in these areas and you keep going down this path? So I, I would say I've had several clients that are very, very uh, willing and able and understand that they need to resource people. Um, and, and then there's, there's plenty that don't. So I think there's two parts I want to talk about real quick. And, and I think I talked about one and kind of the apprehension to think about, you know, it's, it's under your purview. That's why I hired you. I'm not going to give you tools to go hire another sales tra- trainer or to bring in a technology to, to do something that you're supposed to do. The other avenue is, is the employees as well. And how do you come in as an outsider and, and work with them? Cause there's a little bit of that resistance too. And in both scenarios, in both of those cases, I, I try to operate from a position of enrollment. And I learned this years ago from a former boss that um, he didn't tell me this directly, but he did it by demonstration and showing. And I learned from him that how he asks questions and talks to people is how he's enrolling people in his decisions. He's a wonderful coach, great coach. So enrollment is, you don't have to be somebody's direct manager and just say, Hey, go, you have to do this because I'm your boss. Enroll them in the decision-making process, enroll them in the thought process, enroll them in the potential decisions, enroll them in getting their buy-in into making these you know things happen. And that's how I've been able to, uh, at least I believe, I've been able to lower the, res- the wall of resistance in different teams that I'm working on. When I go into a client, it's rarely that I'm working just with the CEO. I'm often working with all their revenue leaders. So it's a lot of getting to know them a little bit, knowing why things happened or what, how things got to where they are. If you had a magic wand, what would you, what would you fix and solve and why? And, and getting into that point and trying to use that information to build better cases. So I have an idea, but I want to enroll them in the decision-making process. So I think the enrollment um, of how you have conversations with people, whether cross-functionally or direct hierarchically is a, uh, is how you start to mediate some of those, whether it's a CEO or whether it's other leaders on your cross-functional teams. I think that's the big one. I love that. Uh, I didn't know where you were headed with, with the word enrollment, but I, I, the word I use is modeling, right? So if you want people to behave in a certain way, show them, treat them that way and you'll model for them. And that's, that's a huge way to, to affect cultural shift. It's, it's simply by the decisions you make and the actions you take, those create the outcomes and, um, and, uh, man, yeah, but what a great tip, uh, this idea of enrolling people into, um, the process, the methodology, the, the paradigm that you want to exist, the cultural imperative that you want to put in place. It's, it's really interesting to me that how many people out there really don't know what cultural 
imperative they want to employ. Like they just get up, go to work and come home and do it again. Like, and we're not really thinking about how do, how do my behaviors affect other people, affect the team, affect the organization, affect our effectiveness, determine whether or not we can or cannot achieve a number. Right. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah. Again, really- it goes down to the whole why you're peeling back layers, asking why a million times. And at some point you're going to get to the root of, of that decision. And that should serve the basis of how you, you got to peel down and then you got to build back up. Right, right, right. Well, and it comes, and as we wrap, I, I think this, this idea that, that sales, the team sport is one way to look at this, but, you know, growth, business organizations, I mean, uh, success is a game of probability, right? Whether it's in business or in life, how do you improve the probability of your success of achieving your objectives? You increase that probability by working closer together, right? Recognizing that a sales problem probably has far-reaching effects throughout the organization. So why don't we all look at the problem and 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 take ownership of the problem, and then all look for a way that each of us can contribute to a solution and kind of multiply the impact of that effort. Uh, love it, man. Well, I'll tell you yeah, what, we're going to, we're going to have, we're going to have more to talk about. Uh, this has been a longer show than normal, but I'm glad we took the time to do it. Uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Ed. Absolutely. Thank you for the time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace.